good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is Shagun on another beautiful episode of Palo Talk. On this episode, we've got a very interesting topic, and that is NYC. Um, we're going to be considering if NYC, um, National Youth Service Corps, is still an important phenomenon. Um, we're going to be taking a look at our public recruitment drive and some of the key um, occurrences that have happened in the last uh, one or two months that has made, brought this issue of NYC back to the fore. We've had uh, the likes of former Minister of Finance tender a resignation because of um, um, NYC exemption certificate. We've got um, the Minister of Communication is currently uh, pursuing an action against the NYC uh, as to why he has never uh, been to he has never served his father's land, as it's called. And we've got um, someone like um, uh, David Adeleke, uh, probably called David Doe, that has um, been very glamorous with his um, NYC. And to be discussing this today is my usual co-host, Yoni. Welcome to the Thank program. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Shabu. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Let's get right to it. Right. What is NYC for people that don't know? <laughs> okay, so um, NYC, like you rightly said, is the National Youth um, Service Corps Scheme. It was um, established in 1973. Um, you would recall that Nigeria just um, officially ended the war, the um, civil war with the Biafran um, action of the Nigerian state and the government. Sorry, on a light, I won't recall because I wasn't born in 1973. Well, yeah. But yeah, I wasn't born as well, quite unfortunately. But yeah, we, you know, uh, know, I'm sure you know when it was started anyway. Yeah, yeah, I I get (laughs) what. So, you know, the the government of the day then, um, as led by the head of state, uh, General Gowon, Yakubu Gowon, thought it wise, given the division and the bad blood which you know, ran through the entire civil war. He, he thought it wise to create a system where yeah. Nigerians would be basically reintegrated. You know, that people would have would, would, yeah. would have this sense of belonging that indeed the Nigerian project belongs to everyone. And so he thought of no better way of doing that than to, you know, promulgate an act, you know, a decree, say that graduates yeah. of Nigerian yeah. institutions and universities, polytechnics and what have you, should be posted to various parts of the country to mingle with other, you know, people from other tribes, people from other backgrounds, so that, you know, when you understand or when you've lived amongst the people for a while, at least one year, it would give you a sense of what their culture is, you know, how you can see things from their own perspective. And basically, you know, promote intermarriage, you know, interethnic, inter, you know, intermarriage amongst the, you know, different um, ethnic um, groups that make up the Nigerian state. To also inculcate in the Nigerian graduates, you know, um, etiquette, you know, ethics of, you know, good ethics, of, you know, as regards employment, you know, culture, you know, just having a well-rounded view of life, so to speak. 
those were the good intentions behind the creation of the um, the NYC as a scheme then. So yes, since, since then, Nigerian graduates, you know, when as soon as they graduate, they're supposed to go for one year compulsory service with um, the NYC scheme, such that they are posted to different states. And it's, it's yeah. structured in a way that ideally you're not posted to any state of, um, you're not posted to your state of origin. And they try as much as possible not to post people to states where exactly attended their institution, just so that there's a balance and then the whole purpose of the the, the, the entire thrust or the reason for the um, scheme is fully realized. Now, whether that scheme has consistently lived up to that um, you know, lofty ideal for which it was created, it's a different ballgame. You know, it, it's arguable, it's debatable, but generally that's just the background and that's what the scheme is all about. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much about that. So, um, from what you've mentioned, it was created um, during the military um, era, and it has survived um, the democratic um, government that we have these days because uh, it's been passed uh, into an act of the national uh, act of parliament um, post nineteen ninety nine. Right. So now, now, now looking at it, it was created with um, a fantastic intention, and I'm sure that's why we've uh, we've kept it after the um, the expiration of the military um, regime. Do, does that scheme still serve the purpose for which it was uh, created? <laughs> These Contemporary right. Nigeria. You and I know part of the problems are facing. I served um, in Nigeria, and I'm sure you've got your own um, episodes to talk about. And, you know, from people around, we all know what goes on. Some people will say, oh, yeah, um, I'm married, and I should be serving very close to my husband. Some people will say, oh, well, um, I graduated um, when I'm 30. Should I be serving? Um, some people will abducted their age to, to just fall into that bracket of, um, of service. Uh, some employers will say, well, if you don't have um, NYC, we cannot employ you. Some employ you anyway. So in the contemporary Nigeria, does the um, spirit for which the scheme was established, is that still being realized? Oh, well, um, I, I just I naturally like to look at things from, you know, a very a historical perspective. And, you know, when you think about the scheme, you know, you would understand or you would see that indeed is one of those legacies that you would want to be proud of as a Nigerian. Like you rightly said, given the good intentions behind it. Now, it has survived, like you rightly pointed out, you know, different administrations and the point that it's even now part of our constitution is recognized. And then it's you know, compulsory that as a graduate, you have to come and do your NYC. It is the basis for which you can then seek employment with private or public organizations in the country. Now, you know, there, there have been good stories. There have been stories about how people met their spouses while they were, you know, serving. There have been stories about people. Exactly, yeah, they met exactly. there, there, been, <laughs> there have been stories about people settling down in part of the country that, 
other ordinarily they would not have settled if NYC had not, you know, brought them there. So to that extent, you can say that it, it, it has actually created this, you know, um, an, an environment where Nigerians can actually intermingle and interrelate. And like I said, if you think about, if you just oppose that with what was happening before it was created, it was, I mean, things were so bad, as we read in history books, that, you know, you had a part of the country that believed that they were not part of the Nigerian state. You had a part of the country that felt that, you know, they didn't have anything in common with the Nigerian people. And so, looking back, you know, years and years after it was created, you can see, you know, people, you know, moving freely, traveling freely. Yes, there are still, you know, issues there and there. There are still issues that need to be addressed. But then what you can see over time is that there's been a driving on the part of the people running the scheme, you know, successive um, director generals and their teams attempting to reform the scheme. Because the thing about, um, they said, the only thing in life that's constant is change. Because, for example, if you look at the decree itself, the original decree, it actually says, you know, um, I think it states that once you're above 30, the only condition upon which you should be exempted from the service is if you graduated after, you know, you you clocked 30. And then there are some other conditions as well, like if you if you're, you're if you're serving in the Nigeria National Intelligence Agency, Defense Intelligence Agency, and some other you know bodies such as the Nigerian Army and all of that. So those are basically the general exceptions. All right. Now there's also the exception about um, you if you have a terminal illness that precludes you from you know that would ordinarily excuse you from doing strenuous activities. You should be you know given an exemption certificate. But generally, if you look at it, the um, the scheme has been trying to reform. For example, the point you raised about if you're married, I do know for a fact that married women are given that um, preference. Yes, you're not exempted from service by virtue of being married, but then there's this preference given to them in terms of to you know being able to choose where they are posted to. Ordinarily, you would expect, and it makes a lot of sense that as a married woman, you should be posted to where your husband is. Now, I do know that that preference, unfortunately, is not accorded to men. So if you're, if you're a married man wanting to do your NYC, there's no regard given to, you know, where, where you're... Yes, more or less like always, almost saying that they don't expect you to be married, <laughs> you know, before your NYC Why? as a man. But, you know, that's just besides the point. The point is that there have been attempts on their part to reform. But now, when you when you think about whether it has lived up or whether it has performed or whether it's still relevant till today, I would say yes. But then there are obviously um, rooms for improvement. There are areas that the scheme can improve to meet the current um, state of the Nigerian the, the need, the current need of the Nigerian state as far you know what a graduate should offer. No, because when, whether you like it or not, we are we have just the, the civil war ended years and years ago. People have healed, they've moved on from that. And, you know, I, I although there's still some, you know, um, sentiments here and there expressed by people who are still, you know, holding on to the past in terms of what happened during the war. But I would say that a vast majority of Nigerian youth, so Nigerian, you know, a vast majority of Nigerian um, population are no longer thinking in terms of what happened then. Everybody's thinking about how can we move Nigeria forward? What can we do? And how does this scheme generally serve the Nigerian state of today. So yes, I would say that it has, to a reasonable extent, um, you know, lived up to 
the original expectation. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks uh, about that. If I can answer, say, to see if the scheme is serving the purpose of which it was created, I would say yes. But could it could it have been could it have been a bit better than it is right now? Then yeah. definitely. And that's going to the fact that there are a lot of things that were not considered before that are actually happening. And that, that takes me back to what you were talking about the other time. Like yeah, it's like it wasn't expected that people would be married while serving. And that's why it's not clearly stated in the laws that well, if you're serve if you're married, then you should be given preferential treatment. Yeah. Now, let's look at the exceptions to um, NYC itself. It, it says that if at the time of your graduation, you are under 30, then you will serve unless you've served in the military or the armed forces for more than nine months or the Nigerian police force, or you're a member of the security organization or national intelligence or defense intelligence, or you've been conferred a national right. honor. A lot of people to date until um, the issue of Mrs. Kemi Adeyoshi and uh, Barista uh, Adebayoshi to happen, which we're going to get to in a, in a minute, do not actually understand what it's, what is actually needed to serve in the NYC. That's why, one, some people believe it's a right that if you're a woman and you're married, then you should be serving close to your husband. Thank God, yeah. Clarify that now that well, it, it makes sense, and that they give you preference because you should be closer to home. But it should go both ways as well. Because if you're a husband and you've got a family, then there should be allowance for you to stay closer to your house as well. So, the um, other thing that I think is not also well considered there is is that a lot of people still believe oh sorry not that it wasn't well considered a lot of people still believe that you shouldn't say what yeah. property and i know even while i was in university uh people make joke about it uh they there's this picture that used to go around and people will say oh see this old man wearing khaki at the age of 60 that man must think he's 18 or 20 but now it makes sense to a lot of people now with the issues that have happened in the, in the last few months that even if you're 80 years old and you graduated before you were 30, That's you're cool. meant to serve. So I think the as the society evolves and as the process become more, um, more ingrained in our academic process, and I can say it's part of our academic process now, that is still next stage after you've graduated. I think the sensitization of graduates and people right. should have improved. I think um, the role of NYSC in the society hasn't really been amplified more than a glorious tick box exercise that, oh, that person should serve. As he said, that's fine. And so if you want that process to be, um, to survive uh, the next generation, uh, we need to put it, we need to include it, uh, review the inclusion, I should say, 
in our recruitment process, in the public um, perception of it, and sensitize members of the public more about what it takes to be a member of the National Youth Service Corps or why yeah, we should absolutely. be doing it. That's a very valid point. Yeah. So thanks for, for that, Yomi. Now, without wasting um, time, I'd like us to really get into this debate that's going on in, in the media about Kemi Adeosu, former Minister of Finance, and Adibayo Shiti. I know, <laughs> I know that um, the former finance minister resigned last month owing to, um, and in her resignation letter to the president, she said that, she made some point. She said that she only uh, received her Nigerian passport at the age of 34. And that's when she came to Nigeria as well. So she was cleared by State House of Assembly in 2011 to be, to be a commissioner in Ogun State. And she was cleared again by the Directorate of State Service in 2015 to be a minister. And it took an article by the Prime Times newspaper, an online uh, news uh, media, to look into the validity of our exemption certificate. Right. Could we put the blame of, of this, um, this uh, made up or invalid exemption certificate, could, could you put it solely at the doorstep of the former minister of finance? <laughs> That's a very complicated question. But I'll start by saying, <laughs> but I'll start by saying that, yes, you're absolutely correct. Um, she actually did state in that statement that yes, she got she got her first passport when she was thirty four, and um, you know she she also applied for exemption based on you know the fact that she had been invited over to come and serve, and in fact the reason she you know according to you know most reports is that the reason she even bothered to come to India in the first place was that you know she was getting the green light from you know people in the corridors of power that they needed her expertise. You know, having worked, you know, at top, um, you know, companies outside of the country, to come and, you know, basically replicate those, um, you know, exemplary um, credentials that she's got. Now, so it leads you to one question. How, you know, for, for practical purposes, would we have expected the former finance minister to have gone about, you know, going through the entire scheme and, you know, having to navigate through that very, um, you know, funny terrain. Exactly. Okay. Now, the law, like you rightly said, states that once you're above 30, you cannot. But like you've rightly clarified, even if you're 80, the fact that you finished school before you were uh, before 30 still means that whatever you're doing, you still need to... And it, 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 it makes you ask if the people who really came up with that um, part of the law, if they had any foresight. Because, you know, you have to think about particularly Nigerians who live abroad. Some of them never heard about any scheme. Some of them never had any allegiance to the Nigerian state. Yes, they were born by Nigerian parents, 
but that does not in any way detract, take any, it does not take anything from their ancestry, their, you know, their connection to Nigeria. So to that extent, you can say that that law seems a bit impractical, you know, it's not practicable. How would you expect someone who has gone through all of that, works you know, in different environments, you know, to, to then turn around and say, well, I'm coming to Nigeria, and then the first thing I should do for, so that I'm able to serve my country is to go and work, or sorry, to go and do my NYC. It, does not, it doesn't seem to make much sense, all right? But that's the law, that's what the law says. So in order to not be caught in that funny um, um, situation, she actually did apply for exemption. I, I assume that she obviously had the erroneous um, conception too about NYC because she naturally thought, well, I'm, I'm over 30, so let me naturally apply for exemption. And at that point, because she obviously did not know, yes, we do know by virtue of you know, our legal knowledge that ignorance is not an excuse. But then the only thing she could have done was it's to apply for exemption. Now she she did get one. Right. Sorry, let me button there a, a, a bit before you right. before you go any further. That application for exemption yes. and the certificate she got, because I know that we need to demystify this um, notion in the media or in, in on social media that she got a fake uh, NYC certificate. Is that an invalid certificate? It's an invalid or certificate. Fake certificate? Because you see, knowledge. Sorry. Okay. okay go on. Because um, I, I go into that argument with someone as well. And that person didn't take it well, and I told that person yes. that it's not a fake certificate, and you can't really prosecute her for forgery if she did not get it, if she do, did not know exactly. knowingly or or willfully obtain the certificate for an unconstituted authority. So she, she would have got it from NYSC and they've given her, if, if she got it from NYSC or she believed it was led to that she's getting it from NYSC and she didn't. So she, did, exactly. she did not commit forgery. Exactly. That's absolutely correct. Um, there is that um, case about honest, a honest mistake. So you can't discountenance yeah. the place of knowledge when talking about whether something is fake or genuine. You know, so the knowledge is key. Yeah. Was she aware that the certificate she was being given was, you know, was a fabricated one? No, she, she well, it, it's arguable to say that she probably did not because the, the so-called person who signed it, the so-called person whose signature appeared on the one she got, was actually a director general of the NYC. Well, although a former one, but it was a person believed to have had the authority to sign such an exactly so it, it, it actually makes you wonder you know when people go around saying she got to fake this she got to fake that that's not the case she got a certificate that she probably honestly believed that it was a genuine one and, and you see and this is the very very important point she was cleared by the house of assembly of um Ogo state to Yes, yeah. in see, the presumption of due diligence is in the, is on the house. The house is presumed to have done their due diligence, have come through all of that. And so it is not even the end there. She was commissioner, and then she became a minister. The National Assembly 
the body responsible for vetting appointees, for going through all the, you know, very cumbersome, um, um, uh, you know, approval, because apparently, you know, you, you, your appointment has to be sanctioned by the National Assembly. That's their responsibility. That's their role. They went yeah. through all of that process, all the processes, and did not for once pick the fact that what she had was not the um, authentic one. Now, well, not fake. I shouldn't use the word authentic. But, you know, what she had was not the, the one she Exactly. So, was not it, it, it leaves a lot of questions. Exactly. exactly. So it leaves a lot of things, you know, to your imagination. Yes. So, it, although I know we haven't gotten to the she two part, there are two different cases. There are two separate cases mm-hmm. with two separate set of facts. Because you know, um, yeah, I'll yeah. just let you you know get onto the she two part, and then we can do um, we can compare and contrast. Yeah, we can compare. We can compare the two. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, that, that's that's the thing. I've I've asked um a lot of people the same question too that well you can't necessarily just blame someone yeah well ignorance of the law blames you that you should have known you should have sought the right counsel to to do this thing but you can in the public opinion you can also say well all these institutions they were on the ground they represent the country they should have known better than this lady that is just coming to the country after spending 34 years abroad that's my first point. My second point in in, in our defense, actually, is the fact that could it not be argued that the fact that she did not actually have a Nigerian passport till she was 34, it is yes. not automatic that she's a Nigerian. Could we not make that argument? If she wasn't a Nigerian when she did uh, think uh, uh, degree, then... If you if if she were to go through that um, that um, route, that legal route, it will still lead to some questions because that law, the, that requirement that says that provided you you know finished school before you were thirty, you know, automatically still qualifies you for someone. You know, qualifies you to be someone who still has to go through the NYC scheme. Because now, if she then puts up the argument that I did not become a Nigerian until I was 34, yes, the moment you applied for your Nigerian citizenship, because if you're born to Nigerian parents um, abroad, there's a presumption that you're Nigerian, whether or not you have a passport or not, right? So now, the fact that you know you've then come home and then have officially applied to be recognized with an Nigerian passport, it automatically, you know, means that for the purpose of serving, and like you actually said, um, um, bodies, recruitment in Nigeria is done through that means. You know, one of the boxes you have to tick is the fact that you must have served. And so if she really wanted to, um, you know, uh, function as a commissioner or, you know, take up employment or anywhere, that requirement would not have been waived. Because it's not so much about when she became a Nigerian, but did you go to school? Yes, I did. Are you now wishing to be recognized as a Nigerian? Yes. Do you now want to take up employment? Yes. Does the requirement say that you have to say? Yes. And I, and I assume that she knew that, and that was why she decided to just, you know, 
go through the application process and you know although it came out to be that she didn't get the one she should have gotten so yes i don't think that that argument about having become nigerian fully you know in nigerian until she was 34 would excuse her from having to have met that requirement i mean it's it's, it's just my opinion but that's how i see it okay yeah Yes. Yeah, we're, we're just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, in hindsight, I, I'm gonna like uh, ask you another question. Just try to be um, Kemi here for a sec. In hindsight, could she have um, come to Nigeria and apply to serve as uh, as um, anyone will do and received? Um, an awful letter from the Ogo State government to actually serve as a commissioner of finance. Because I know, I know that that's something that happens. But is it conventional? It, it's a, it's conventional to do that. But is it legal or within the um, stipulations of NYC? I, I, do that I, I wouldn't say that that scenario um, is within the contemplation of the law. But then. See, the law is dynamic, right? There are very there are different interactions that the people of a particular nation can have with existing laws in a way that we can open you know, open up the frontiers of whatever laws we want to choose to guide us, right? So, like rightly pointed out, just if she had mm -hmm. done that, and then if she had allowed the state, the you know Ogun state, the Ogun state government to officially write to NYC to seek that permission. She would, you know, I don't believe that she would have been, you know, that there would have been any um, serious issue around this. As a matter of fact, we may never have heard about it, right? Because when, just like, you know, naturally, if you want to serve, you're allowed to go to an employer and get them to officially write to the um, NYC organization to post them, post you to their organization. Do you understand? So if the state had done that, I'm sure that, you know, it would have gone smoothly and we probably would not have heard anything about it. But then, unfortunately, she did not do that. And it may also be as a result of the fact that as Nigerians, you know, see, the, being appointed as a commissioner is a very, very competitive um, position to hold. There are a lot of people lobbying. You know, I'm sure that a lot of people would have even, you know, you know challenged yeah. uh, qualification, our eligibility for that, um, you know, highly sought after position. And so she wouldn't want to leave anything to chance. You know, so that may obviously explain why she had to hurriedly apply for, you know, an exemption, which turned out to be that, you know, it wasn't the right one. So, yeah, she could have tried that. She could have tried that. Whether or not it would have worked, you know, it, it's still something that we will never really understand. We will never, we'll not be able to say until, you know, especially given the fact that it didn't happen. That's what I would say. Right. Oh. right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, brother Ayumi. There's more to talk about there, but because of our time, I'd like us to move quickly to um, the <laughs> other side of the spotlight, which is barrister, yeah. a barrister yeah. of law, uh, a very vocal one, barrister um, Bayoshitu, the Minister of Communication. His argument, um, when this, the news broke, that he didn't serve as well was because he was, because I watched the interview on uh, uh, TVC and he said that, well, 
he was <laughs> he was given a higher calling because he was a yes. member of the uh, House of Assembly yes. at the age of 26. So he said, well, he got a higher calling and he, he shouldn't have said because he got a higher calling. But in the last few uh, days, or uh, uh, in the last few weeks, I think he's backtracked on that one and changed the, the narrative, uh, which has caused him to bring an action against the NYSC. I'll let you weigh in on what makes his own uh, situation or case different. Okay, sorry, before I go on, I would just like you to say, you said he's changed his narrative, right? Yeah, do you know what that new narrative is? Yeah. Um, I believe he's saying that it's right. the NYC that did not <laughs> call him to serve. Right. His argument was um, um, right. his argument was he yes. got a higher calling, which is to serve. Yes. The, uh, he was elected to yes. serve uh, in the House of Assembly. But now, saying that no. he was not actually called to serve. <laughs> yes, I, I, you know, the, the thing is, like we, like we said... Yeah, I'm sorry, we're quite yeah. specific so we don't mislead our listeners. Is Sue NY alleging that the body failed to right. serve him okay. in call up later in 1979 when it was still below 30? So he's saying right. that he should yes. have been presented with okay. a call up now, later. This, this, this is the thing. So we've said that Adioshan's case is not on all fours with this one. You know, that, 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 yes, you know, so that, that, that different material like facts. Now, as at the time Barrister Chitu graduated from university, he was still under 30. Resident in Nigeria, full Nigerian, right? Yeah. Now, we, we know yeah. that the usual practice is that the NYC as a scheme does not serve a collaborator on any prospective call member. So what happens is your university or your institution already has Exactly, already has an arrangement that alongside your graduation or your final exam and all that, you are being processed for NYC, right? So it is your school that actually does that. And what then happens afterwards, once your school has done that processing, and we you know the back channel processing with the NYC, is that people, you then go back to your school to pick up your call-up letters. That's how it has always been. That's the normal practice. Yes. And for as far back as we can remember, that has always been the normal practice. Now, that is for the argument about the fact that the NYC did not call him, you know, save, save him the call up letter for him to proceed on his, um, you know, service. That's for the one, for the first, for the second one. Now, as to his first argument that, um, you know, he, he had to proceed on, you know, he had to take a higher calling. We, you know, uh, we're not allowed yeah. as people to, you know, choose which laws we want to obey and which laws we won't obey. Right. So, and, you know, yeah. the, the funny part of this case is that this, you know, the barrister we're talking about is a lawyer, a very, you know, prominent lawyer for that matter. He understands very well that when you read the law, you have to read it holistically. You know, you read it, you don't go to the mischief rule, you know, I mean, I'm talking about rules of interpretation, unless 
the literal, you know, rule. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's at variance with the context. Exactly, it's, it's at variance with the context or the intention enough. of the law. The law clearly states that the condition of, or conditions upon which you could be you know, exempted from NYC would be one, member of the, you know, you're a member of the, um, you know, um, National Intelligence um, Agency, Defense Intelligence Agency, you know, you've served in the Nigerian Army, you've served in the police, like you rightly said, the police force for more than nine months. I do not see the National the House of Assembly of your State as being part of the, you know, exemptions contemplated by that provision of that law. So, you know, Maybe he wants to ask you on that um, uh, paragraph D that says he has been compared with you know, <laughs> any national honor. It does not. Is so it the thing? See, being compared with the national honors, or within, yeah, with you know the national honors of Nigeria, you know, if you're a recipient of any one of those categories, there is a clear process that you have to go through, right? Exactly. And there's a law so, for that that identifies exactly. so, what constitutes the state house of assembly of your state does not in any way exempt you. As a matter of fact, you know, it's not it's as good as you going somewhere to work. You know, you you volunteer, you you put up yourself, you know, for service, the people elected you, you serve. You could have still gone for your service even after you had, you know, completed your 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 your, your still worship. But then because for example, maybe you felt you would never need it. Now, the question I ask myself is, if the question had not come up about his eligibility for certain positions, you know, for you know being a minister of the Federal Republic or even wanting to become governor of um, Oyo State, would he have bothered? He of, would not uh, have you know, bothered. Right. It's a matter of necessity. You see, the, the funny thing is, he owns a law. I, I, well, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I, I want to assume that he owns a law firm. He would not employ any lawyer in his law firm who has not served. Right. Sorry. Let, let me just ask this question while we're on that subject. Do you know if there's any law or any punishment attributable to employing someone, a graduate, without um, NYC yes, certificate? Yes, I'm not sure of, you know, of the exact um, you know, um, punishment or, you know, but I, I know that it's because. When I go back, and you know, this leads me to my own experience as you know, someone who has served. I served above, you know, while I was, you know, as someone who was above thirty. I served after I became thirty, right? So I got back into the country and I had to do my own. There was one job that I was going to be shortly, you know, going to be shortlisted for. But when it got to the point of now, this is an international company, so to speak. But when we got to the point of, you know, NYC and all that, they clearly told me that, number one, we will not employ you. We can't employ you as an expert because you're Nigerian. Number two, before we can employ you, you must provide your certificate of, you know, this certificate from NYC. Unfortunately, I've just come back. I have not gone through my NYC. As a matter of fact, I used to be one of those people that thought, you know, it was not necessary. But when I saw the fact that they actually, and I'm talking... Now the funny thing is about the funny thing about this is that the recruitment um, arm of that company that wanted they were actually based in the US, right? Or they are based in the US, but they, they, they obviously having employed Nigerians over time, have gotten to the point where they understand clearly that 
there is a punishment for employing people who do not have that, you know, requirement. And unfortunately, you know, I lost that job because of that. So it's not an excuse for anyone to then come around and say that, you know, this is this, I should have gotten this, I should have gotten that. So, you know, just to go back to the point you've made earlier, the two cases are different. This is just by trying to like, you know, you know, play up some legal games, you know, in the hope that, well, maybe the court would, you know, look at things from its perspective. But as far as the law is concerned, it is clearly stated. Once you're Nigerian, you're finished before you were 30, you know, you did not, you have not said any of the defense or security outfits. You, you have not, you, don't, you do not have any terminal ailment. You must serve, even if you're 70 or 80. So I did not see how Baisashitu would um, come out of this with a verdict that, you know, states that, you know, is, is in the right as to, as far as this case is concerned. Right, which brings me to my next um, question. We've talked about the double standard or perceived double standard of, um, right. of uh, Progressive Congress, APC, its political party, and in the yeah. um, execution of their laws and their rules or the, the perceived tenets of uh, the, the party. This uh, person... Yeah is still a serving minister. The other minister that we've talked about that resigned, has yeah. resigned because of yes. an invalid yes. uh, certificate, yeah. not fake, not forged. But this man is still a serving minister. The same party in the same breath has denied him the opportunity to contest the party gubernatorial primaries for your state because it does not have NYC discharge certificate. How does that work? Why is it still serving in the federal executive cabinet? Why, and while the other person has resigned, why was he prevented from actually running for the gubernatorial uh, yeah. primaries? The, the problem that this APC led government has is, is that of self-imposed contradictions. So on the one hand, they are, you know, saying that we would uphold the law. On the other hand, you're engaged in acts which clearly and unequivocally violate the, the you know, the spirit of that. Exactly. So, you know, if you want, you want to turn around and say that the reason Baxter Shito was denied the ticket was because or is because it doesn't have that NYC certificate. But on the other hand, you have him serving as the Minister of Communications for that matter. I think what this government lacks is, um, you know, there's this deficit of integrity. There is no, although, you know, you would have them continuously say that, you know, the president's amount of integrity and all of that. But your integrity is not, it is it's questionable if you can pick and choose which laws to follow and which laws not to follow. Exactly. So I do not subscribe to the view that having been confirmed by the National Assembly is entitled to continue to serve as minister, even in the face of this apparent lack of the requisite you know, um, things that it should have. 
this man clearly does not have a certificate. Not only that, he has not even provided an invalid certificate. So, that, and he's going about saying and that, not denying know, yes, he wasn't called to serve. Yes, you know, he, he served, you know, a higher calling according to him. But there's no reason why this government could not have prevailed upon him for the purpose, because, you see, perception is everything in politics. And, you know, when we studied law, you know, there's this general saying yes. that justice must only be served, it must be seen to have been said. So, there is that um, moral issue hanging on the head of this administration in terms of how can you in one breath say that, yes, you know, we're fighting corruption, but then there's a corruption of, so of some sort on your head as long as this man remains a minister. There are, you know, a thousand and one yeah, I do not see. You know, sometimes when we want to analyze why you know, certain governments do what they do, I mean, you can look at things from different perspective. But I do not see the political capital that this government so desperately wants to hang on to by retaining someone in the clouds of, you know, Barrister Shitu. Yes, as Minister of Communications, I do not see any, you know, exceptional thing that he has achieved. I do not see the political, um, you know, wherewithal, the political experience that he brings to that table in terms of, you know, looking at the political calculation of the president, considering the next general elections that we're facing. So why, and even if those things were there, they would not trump the need to uphold the law. You understand? So it, 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 it leaves a yes. bad taste when you see a government that wants to preach integrity, that wants to preach rule of law, that wants to preach a fight against impunity, you know, turn around and, you know, hopefully without any regard to any, you know, extant laws, break the law in this, you know, in this manner that clearly does not respect the wishes of Nigerian people. So I don't yeah. understand it. I think it's, it's an unnecessary battle. You must choose your battles. You must choose... As someone who knows where you're going to as a leader, you must choose, you know, the times when you put your, you know, head up in the, you know, listen and say that, well, I'm sticking to this stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm staying with this one. But this is needless, it is unnecessary, and it is a political, um, you know, a political baggage that it doesn't necessarily need at this point. Yeah, uh, thank you. I, I don't think they see it that way, if I'm honest with you, because... Obviously, they've been radio silent on this issue um, since it's rendered the airwaves. They've not said anything about it. But trying to be fair to Barista Shitu now, I do, I do not see, I, I've questioned this as well, I do not see why it is more important to stop him or to prevent him from running for the governorship of or your state why that is a problem and is serving as a minister at the same time. I think it should be the other way around. Because he's in, a, he's yes. in a, some form of employment now. So it should have stopped from continuing that employment yes. once that fact has been brought to fall. But running for governor, governor um, the gubernatorial seat uh, of the state, you do not have to need that. to have a degree. 
you could bring up the argument that he can actually decide to renounce his degree just to show that he has complied with the basic requirement, which one day I know we're going to have to talk about it again, a basic requirement of running for the gubernatorial seat and the presidential seat, yes. which is the see, secondary school living certificate. So, so I, I, I don't get it. Why you say because this man doesn't have this, he can't run for the office that is legally allowed to run for because there's no provision in the constitution that says, well, if you want to run for the governorship or presidency, yes. but you've not served, then you shouldn't yes, run. Yes. That's not um, a recruitment drive. Yes. That is an it's based on people's yes, that's, that's, that's a brilliant way to look at it. You're absolutely correct. I do agree with you. And you see, the interesting thing is, if, if you look at, well, in my analysis, I, I specifically did not mention his suitability or his eligibility to contest for governor. I'm just saying, you know, I just said that that forms the basis why, you know, the APC decided not to, you know, you know I don't particularly remember, you know, remember saying that. Listen, but the point I'm trying to make is, interestingly, like you've noted, the Constitution does not require you to, be, to have been a graduate before contesting for government. So, in, in fact, you are not even required to have passed your O level. You're only required to have sat for it. You understand? So, and that is why, you know, a delicate case, yes. just to digress, is very, very interesting. You know, because... You know, you're, the law does not require yeah. you to have, you know, credit, mass, and English, and all the five subjects. It only requires that you have an, oh, you know, you have sat for the yeah exactly. Now, you see, the interesting thing about the law degree is that yeah. NYC does not complete your, you know, being a lawyer. As a matter of fact, you go to the law school before you go to serve. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, as a lawyer, yeah, because you can make the case that. You know, when I finish, you know, once you've done your law school, you can establish your law chambers. And, you know, if you dispense with the need to seek, to apply for, you know, to seek employment, you can then start your own law chambers and become an employer of labor yourself. That necessarily, which I assume is what happened in this case. But then, like yes. you rightly said, being a minister of the Federal Republic is an appointment. It is a recruitment. It's a recruitment process. Because... You, know, you go through interviews, you, know, you go defend your your, yes. you know, your credentials, your record at the National Assembly. Now, because of the very nature of that appointment, yeah. you have an obligation to at least present, you know, to have gone through NYC because it is a requirement proce recruitment process. And that's what makes it different from, you know, this um, old gubernatorial ambition. And that's the thing, that's what I'm saying. Why the government can, you know, Say that, well, gentleman, you haven't served, you were appointed, somebody picked you, somebody recruited you to be a minister, we would have to let you go. But however, you're free to go to the state, you know, do whatever you can do. In fact, if Vice Chitu was, I mean, I would assume that what he should do is to challenge his disqualification on that basis and not say that exactly. If he, if he challenges his disqualification, yes. and then he would get the court to say that, well, the law actually did not envisage that you would need a degree or you need an NYC certificate before you can contest to be governor. 
The only requirement is that you must have gone through a secondary school and you must have an O-level yes. certificate, which I'm sure it does have. And so that would have basically taken care of all this. But because, you know, he's trying <laughs> to, the one is fighting two battles on, you know, you know, with one, um, I don't know, he wants to kill um, two birds with a stone. He wants to put up a challenge because he can then say to the government that, well, you can't terminate my appointment because there's a case in court that will determine Basis, the very basis for which you want to disqualify me as a, as, as a yeah. seven minister. I don't think that argument will hold water. The government does not need yeah, any. Agree, but I'm saying that we can put up that argument. Whether the government would, you know, whether the you know presidency or the you know the president would yeah. buy that is a different kettle of fish. It's, it's a needless, it's a needless, you know, controversy to be yeah. honest. If you ask me. Yes. Yeah. It just it leaves a bad taste in the mouth because people can see two cases, compare yes. like for like, and exactly. still un not understand yes. why something yes. the way it is in, in one yes. and it's gone completely the other way on the other one. So um, it, it is a confusing one, but. Thank you for your contribution on, on, on that subject. I'm sure it's still going to be subject of debate. And I'm sure a lot of our youths yeah. would have picked a, a, a thing or two from what we've discussed today and learned their lesson that NYSC, um, the rules are there and they're very clear. The exemption rules are there. Yeah. And the list is so, so small that you will know if you fall within the purview of the people that are actually exempted yes. from um, going on NYSC. It's, it's, been, it's been a night hunt again today, Yomi. And until next time, Thank you very much. Yeah. have a wonderful evening.